Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. Hebrews 9, finished chapter 9 this morning, and there are, there are quite a few verses to cover, so thank you in advance for just hang with me. This will be fun. It's all about the blood of Jesus, and really, frankly, we don't talk enough about the blood of Jesus as a church, as a body of Christ, as a whole, and but it's all about the blood. And what I love about Hebrews as we've been going through this is the Lord is highlighting the blood of Jesus in this message today. So before we start, I kind of, I forget to do this a lot, but I do want to pray over the service and just this word. Lord, we just come before you. Father, we, again, we thank you for this opportunity to serve you and to study your word And Lord, as we study the blood of Jesus, that atoning, redemptive blood that is for us and for everyone that's ever existed on the earth and everyone that is yet to exist, Lord, we thank you so much for this study. And Lord, as we close out Hebrews 9, I pray that you would sit here and teach us everything from 1 John 2.27. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so as we study, as we get into the blood of Christ, and we hit on these verses all the time, but what I want to just remind everyone that there are some very unique supernatural aspects of the blood of Jesus. And so in order for us to really glean that, we do need to lean on 1 John 2, 27 and 28, because it's only by his blood that we are able to have the comforter in us. From John 14, remember Jesus said, I must leave so the comforter can come. Well, once you get saved and you're anointed with the Holy Spirit, you have the comforter. And then because of his blood, you can then have the confidence when he returns and takes us home. We have confidence through the blood of Jesus. And on our outline here, as we've been going through this, we're closing out chapter nine today. And we've got, there's only 13 chapters in Hebrews. So we will maybe get through this before the end of the, end of the year here. But as we close out chapter 9, we're still in that a new and better priestly covenant. And it covered a lot of chapters in the Bible. But remember, it offers a better sacrifice for his once. It was Jesus once and for all, provides a better promise, and it's an open sanctuary to all. And so because of that, because of his sacrifice was once and for all, he only had to, to pour out himself once. That's it. He never has to do that again. That blood is eternally sufficient for all of us. And remember, Hebrews is built on these five warnings, the danger of drifting, danger of hardening the heart, danger of failing to mature is number three, danger of willful sin, and danger of refusing. And each warning builds upon the previous one, and it's only the warnings are in place so that we stay strong and steadfast in our walk with the Lord. Now, It's also only because of the blood of Jesus that we have the opportunity to not get sucked into these warnings. So if you find yourself drifting or hardening the heart or whatever the case may be, remember, it's his blood has taken care of that for you. It's it's been victorious in your life so that you don't have to be a slave to anything that was previously besetting you. And so these warnings, each one builds upon the other, and it's a process. And at the end of it, it culminates with apostasy, and that's the key. It's an apostatizing church, like the church of Laodicea, that's lukewarm, that no longer is serving the Lord. So that's why the warnings are there. And they're in place because, really, we have the most incredible future ever in Jesus. And that is when he sets up the kingdom We are a part of that. Remember, Jesus was made heir of all things. We are made co-heirs with him by his blood. 
And so again, it links back to the blood of Christ, that it's only by his blood that you get the chance to even be a co-heir with Jesus. And he's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to set it up for a thousand years from Jerusalem. He's going to sit on the throne of David, just like was promised Mary. And from the, the angel Gabriel, that hasn't happened yet. And so that's going to happen. It's the most, most of the prophetic events in the Bible are still yet future. And f remember, for every verse of Jesus coming the first time and dying our behalf and shedding his blood of his second coming to rule and reign on planet Earth. And we're going to talk a little bit about the end of, of watching for that. But the kingdom, it is the central theme of the entire Bible. And it's only by and through his blood you get the opportunity to be a part of that kingdom as, as he calls you in his, in his word, his inheritance. It's his inheritance. You are his inheritance. So remember, he is pleading with us to stay steadfast. Revelation 3.11, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Jesus is warning you in Revelation 3, there is something you can lose. It's not your salvation. It's your place in that kingdom. And remember, that's why those warnings are there. That's why you've got to cover yourself with the blood of Christ. And do not forget, whatever you're battling in your life, Jesus, as the Lord, the Lord said on June the 30th, 2022, Jesus is a wartime king. He is a wartime king, and he wants to war on your behalf right now for anything that is that is entangling you or the enemy's attack on your life or your family, he is a wartime king that will go to battle for you on your behalf. So we've been studying the tabernacle and its relation to Jesus. So remember, every aspect of the tabernacle points to the Messiah. We looked through that the last couple of weeks. We've been studying that. And the true tabernacle was pitched without man's hands and it sits in heaven. So remember, the wilderness tabernacle was a shadow of that heavenly reality. Remember when Moses got the Ten Commandments and the law on Mount Sinai, the Lord also gave him the pattern of the tabernacle to build. And he told him twice in Exodus, see that you build it according to the pattern in the mount that is the shadow of the heavenly reality. And so when the war declared by God himself, so remember, war was declared by God in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and thy seed, speaking to Satan. And so God declared war on Satan at that moment. That sets the storyline for the entire word of God. But that war cascades onto the earth during the tribulation. It's always manifested on the earth, but the object of that war will be planet earth during the tribulation. And that's one of the reasons why you want to make sure you are saved to not be here for that. But it's that that war is coming out from the heavenly reality. Remember that. We looked at that last time, how there are angels burning incense at an altar. There are thrones. We are there. There are people behind the or under the altar, the tribulation saints. All through Revelation, that war is being declared and executed from the throne room of the entire universe from God's throne. So remember, the wilderness sanctuary, it had limited access, but our heavenly sanctuary now has unlimited access for everyone because of what Jesus did on the cross. It has unlimited access, and it's because of his blood that you have complete access at any time. It's only because of his blood. So the way into the tabernacle's holy of holies it was only open once per year. Remember on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. But Jesus right now is keeping the way into the true sanctuary open forever by the strength, by his strength alone and by his blood. And the way to the tree of life, remember this from Genesis 3.24, the way to the tree of life after Adam and Eve fell, it had to be defended all the way back in Genesis, Genesis 3.24. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden, cherubim, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So remember, access to the tree of life was lost 
but the way to return was defended. Now I've always, I remember when I first started really studying the Bible and I read that verse and I thought, okay, well, God is guarding man from getting to the tree of life. But I, after studying this over and over and praying about it, I think it's quite the opposite. I think it's the Lord is guarding to keep the way to the tree of life. He's guarding the path to it so that man can return to ultimate fellowship with him. See, Satan wanted to cut off that access, that way, because that way is only through the bloodline of the Messiah and the Messiah coming in the form of man and dying so that his blood could give us access again. That's the way back to the tree of life. So the Lord is defending the way. And when you, tra when you track that down throughout the Bible, Satan's attack is always on the bloodline of the Messiah all through the Old Testament. He's trying to wipe it out but the Lord keeps intervening and defending the way to get back to the tree of life, which is restored, our access to it is restored in Revelation. We see that in the millennium, actually in the new heaven, the new earth, but that the tree of life is there and it splits sides and it yields fruit once a month, a different type of fruit for life for the inhabitants of earth. But remember, so he's defending the way He's keeping the way, and that way is through the Messiah and the blood of Jesus. So that bloodline was completely defended. So there's only one way, and the way is not a path. The way is a person. The way is Jesus, and his name is Yeshua, Yeshua HaMashiach. In John 14, 6, that's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. See, the way is a person. It's a person that spoke you and I into existence. He is the only way. He's the only truth. The truth is a person, and his name's Jesus. He is the only life. The life is a person, and his name is Jesus. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The true way, our way to the Father, is paved with the blood of Jesus. That's the way. It's Jesus the complete atoning blood of Christ, and it could only be paid for by him, and the way could only go through him. There is no other way. And just to prove that, you can even look in, your cult, in our culture, why is there never an attack on Muhammad? Why is there never an attack on Buddha? Or just pick any false god in religion. They're never blasphemed. They're never attacked. There's never... A, a spiritual war trying to discredit them. It's always Jesus because he is the true. There's no reason to attack a counterfeit, right? There's no point in it because they've already got you. The enemy has always already won that battle. So John 10, 1, very, verily I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief, and a robber. See, Jesus is the only way. You can't go around it. You can't sneak in some other way. It's only by and through him that you can get there. So remember these contrasting priesthoods, the Levitical priesthood versus Jesus's priesthood. We've been looking at this since chapter seven. Jesus's priesthood is a superior priesthood from chapter seven, provides a superior covenant from chapter eight, a superior sanctuary that's really in heaven. We looked at that last week in Hebrews 9, 1 through 10, and then a superior sacrifice in the verses we're going through today. So in Hebrews 9, 11, but Christ being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. Remember, we looked at that a lot, the heavenly reality of the throne room of the universe and how the wilderness tabernacle just simply modeled it temporarily for us. And remember, Jesus laid claim on every one of those items. The table of showbread, I am the, I am the bread of life. The menorah, the, seven, the 12 branch, seven branch candlestick, I am the lie of the world. So remember, the real one's in heaven. It's not made by hands. The real one is in heaven. In verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained 
eternal redemption for us. So remember the tabernacle was draped in the skins of three types of animals. It really was an overall bloody place inside and out, frankly. There was a lot of bloodshed in the tabernacle. But the outer layer was a porpoise skin. Then there was the ram skin. The middle sk- the layer was a ram skin dyed red, and that represented the substitute ram from Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac. It was, remember, Isaac was about to be sacrificed, and there was a substitute ram in the thicket. And so that's what that middle layer represents, the substitute ram. The base layer was goat's hair, representing the sin bearer. And that's from Leviticus 16.22. The goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. See, the, it was a sin bearer. So think about the layers. First, you had to have something else bear your sin. It bore the sin by the blood. And then after the blood, you have this porpoise skin. Now, what in the world would that be about? That skin, that porpoise skin is in Exodus 26, 14. And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red and a covering above the badger skin. So the word here for badger skin in Hebrew, it means a kind of animal hide, perhaps the badger or dugong or a dolphin. Now it likely was a porpoise skin. And one of the, and why do I say that? One of the greatest miracles of the Bible was the fact that when they were roaming the wilderness, their shoes did not wear out. And they, their shoes were provided by the Lord. And so you see this in Deuteronomy 29.5. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and thy shoe is not waxen old upon thy foot. See, they walked for 40 years in the wilderness and their shoes never gave out. That is a supernatural shoe in the desert because I don't know about you guys, but we're having to buy our kids' shoes about every three months, I feel like. They wear out so easily. So how did they walk for 40 years, the same shoes, they never wore out, all that they traversed, all the wars they fought, going through water, heat resistant, all of that. Well, it's in Ezekiel 16.10. So you don't learn what their shoes are made of throughout the entire five books of Moses. It's not until you get to Ezekiel that you learn, I clothe thee also with broidered work and shoed thee, shod thee with badger's skin. I girded thee about with fine linen and I covered thee with silk. See, it's badger skin. It's that same word in the Hebrew, the porpoise skin. And so their shoes, think about if you had dolphin skin for shoes, how durable they would be. They'd be waterproof. They'd be, they would be heat resistant. They'd be very durable. They wouldn't puncture easily. So it's pretty supernatural. Now, where did they, where did they get those you know, dolphins? They, they likely got them in the Red Sea when it parted. Think about that. There's, when the sea parted, think about all of the dead animals that'd be laying there on the dry ground. You know, they're not going to find dolphins in the wilderness. And so it would make sense that they collected a lot of these animal skins going through the Red Sea because they needed them to prepare the tabernacle later on. And so that would make a lot of sense. But the Lord provides the same benefit for your walk. That's the model. See, you needed someone else to bear your sin. It was only by their blood that you could bear the sin. And then on top of that, God is going to clothe you with exactly what you need to walk the sanctification process once your sin is atoned for and he bore it for you. And so then you finally get, you get the proper shoes to walk, right? It's not until you're saved, then God can clothe you with the proper shoes to carry out the walk that he's called you to. So in Hebrews 9, 11 through 12, those first two verses, the Lord also covers the Messiah's unique access. His entrance into the heavenly tabernacle, it was unique in what only he could satisfy. It was through his own blood alone. He entered once and for all, never to have to leave for another sacrifice. And by his acceptable sacrifice, it obtained eternal redemption for everyone. 
And so what a king we serve indeed that he was able to do that on our behalf. So in verse 13, as a side note real quick, you know, the blood, when Jesus became man, he certainly had, had blood. He had to shed that blood. But when you get your resurrected body, what kind of blood, so to speak, will you have in your resurrected body? It's probably not blood at all. It may be light and the light of the, of the Lord that fills your body at that point because what would be the need, right? You wouldn't have need for blood anymore in your resurrected body. So I don't know, it's very interesting to think about. Jesus certainly ate every time he showed up after he was resurrected, so he had some kind of needs. But in verse 13 here, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. So the ashes of a heifer, this is interesting. The ashes of the red heifer were used to cleanse anyone who touched a corpse. Okay, that was one application. And thus, if you remember in the Old Testament, if you touched a corpse, you were unclean. They were also used to cleanse and dedicate the temple. And this is all in Numbers 19. So if you want to track that down, you can read all of Numbers 19 and find this. But the Temple Institute, we've talked about them a couple of times in here. And again, remember, if you go to their website, do not donate. They are not Messianic believers. They are attempting to, re to rebuild the temple that the Antichrist will desecrate. And they have everything ready to do it. So it's very interesting. Pay attention to what they say, but do not support them. Okay, just pray for them instead. Pray for them. So they have an update on their website, the Red Heifer Update. This is from March of 2022. I'm just going to read this quote. Over the past six months, the Temple Institute has greatly expanded its efforts to raise a red heifer in Israel whose ashes can be used to achieve the highest level of biblical purity, which will enable Kohanim and ordinary Jews to enter into the areas of the Temple Mount where the inner temple courtyards and the temple sanctuary are located. A prerequisite for the renewal of the divine service in the holy temple. More details cannot currently be disclosed for operational reasons. Suffice it to say that the current efforts are international in scope. Pay attention to that. International in scope. We hope to be able to share more information in the near future as progress is made. So, Remember, the red heifer, they've been trying to get this red heifer for years now. Now, I want you to read this on their website. Here's the other quote they follow this up with. But that's how close they are. It was one hair away from having a, a true red heifer to burn and have its ashes ready to dedicate the temple. That's how close. So if there has been no red heifer for the past 2,000 years, perhaps it is because the time was not right. Israel was far from being ready. Of course they were. They weren't even in existence till 1948. So they were, they were very far from ready. But now, what could it mean for the times we live in to have the means for purification so close at hand? With the words of May Mondiz in mind, we cannot help but wonder and pray. If there are now red heifers, is ours the era that will need them? Just think about that. These are non-believing Jewish people that know exactly what is required to rebuild this next temple. The temple that will be standing, that the Antichrist will go into, into the Holy of Holies and desecrate at the midpoint of the tribulation and declare himself to be God. They are so close. They just need someone to broker the deal. And 
is ours the era that will need them? They think it's their generation. And it's amazing how the non-believing Jews think that it's their generation that's going to see all of this come to pass. And yet you have the, the vast majority of the body of Christ that believes nothing prophetic, right? Remember, it's, it's even prophetic that they would say in the New Testament, where is the return, the promise of his coming? For all things have been the same since the fathers fell asleep. Even prophetically, they think that it's not the time. So when you see this, Luke 21, 28, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. This is just one more sign. This is a sign that Jesus is so close to taking us home. So in verse 14 here, how much more shall the blood of Christ, so remember the Lord is using this contrast, if the blood of these animals could only atone the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So this is a, it's a, this is a sarcastic figure of speech that the Lord is using here in the Hebrew. It's called a kel veshomar. That's what they call this. It means from the stronger case. So in other words, if, if you know, such and such's car can go 100 miles per hour, how much can such and such's car go? It's kind of that comparison, but it doesn't tell you how much faster his car can go. It only tells you that it can go faster. So the Lord is, is using this argument. It's a very Jewish argument. So if an animal blood through an earthly ritual could purify the flesh, how much more can the blood of Jesus cleanse? That's what the Lord is saying. And he doesn't put constraints on it because it's infinitely possible to cleanse more. There is no constraint on the blood of Jesus. So if you need your conscience cleansed from dead works to then be of service to God, it's only by his blood. So look at the end of 14 here. To purge your conscience from dead works in order to serve the living God. So it's by his blood that he can purge your conscience and then thus you can serve faithfully and walk with the living God. And that reminded me of 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is a wonderful verse. Uh, my, um, our dear brother, uh, Chuck Missler, he used to call that verse the, the Christian's bar of soap. That's what he would say all the time because if you are faithful and just, he will use it to cleanse you. So in verse 15 here, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So everyone has a call to eternal salvation with Jesus and an eternal inheritance. So the Lord has that call on you, and it's only because he's the mediator of this New Testament. So he's also speaking of, though, those that were alive during the Old Testament and their need for redemption from their transgressions. Okay, remember we talked about this last week. You had Abraham's bosom in the center of the earth. It wasn't cleared out, and, and those people not given access to the true heavenly reality until Jesus shed his blood, and then they were all resurrected. Jesus was resurrected first as our first fruits, then those which slept as the, in the Old Testament, and he took them to heaven. So they had access then. But the Jewish people should have all been looking forward to the day when the Messiah arrived. They should have known to the day when he was going to show up from Daniel 9. And Abraham certainly was looking toward that day, and that's what Jesus said 
in John 8, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Remember, he uses this to confuse them, to confuse the Jewish people, because they're like, how in the world did Abraham see your day? He died thousands of years ago. What are you talking about? And yet, Abraham was looking for the Messiah. Abraham had an eye looking for him, and he did rejoice, certainly, as did all those Old Testament saints that were looking for Christ. In verse 16 here, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. A will provides an inheritance of some kind, but it's, it's totally useless. It's a promise until someone dies, right? If I, if I set up a will for our children, as long as I'm breathing, it's nothing but a promise. The actions and the contents of that will are nothing more than promises until I pass away. The same with Jesus. Everything we have in him was a promise until he died, and then his will was activated. So for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. That's a, that's a legal term, a testator, someone that wrote the will. And that's why I love how the Lord calls us all through the word of God, his inheritance. See, he wrote in the will, not just an inheritance for you, but an inheritance for himself. And so when he dies, he gets that also. And you're the only thing on this earth that's going to pass from here to the new heaven and the new earth. After the end of the millennium, when Jesus wipes it all away, like we studied in the end of Revelation, I saw heaven and earth pass away. And there was one sitting on a throne. That's it. And every one of you that's in Christ and everyone before us that's in him and everyone after us that's in him, we are the only thing that passes from this earth that is going to pass away into the new heaven and the new earth. That's why we are his inheritance. So that is, that is incredible. If that does not excite you, then get excited. So the crucifixion of Jesus Okay, it was a triumph. It was planned from the beginning. God did not go into this going, oh my, Eve just fell. What do we do now? You know, he didn't sit around looking with the Holy Spirit and the king going, well, guys, we've got a, we've got a, a pickle on our hands. What do we do here? He knew this. It was planned. That's what Ephesians 1.4 says. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So that's before Genesis 1.1. God knew exactly what he was going to have to do before he ever spoke it into existence. And he did it anyway, because that's how desperate he is and how much he loves you and how desperately he wants a family. He was willing to do that. He was willing to, to proceed no matter what. So in verse 18, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. See, the first covenant at Sinai in the law, it was also ratified by blood. This is not a new concept. The Lord was setting this pattern all the way from the beginning, frankly. Remember he told Adam and Eve that he clothed them with skins. He set the precedent from the beginning when man and woman fell that it was only by the shedding of innocent blood they could be redeemed. He did that. They didn't do that on their own. It was, it was the innocent blood of animals that he shed all the way back then to show them and to set a model for the future. So you see this in Exodus 24, six through eight. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins 
and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord hath said, we will do. Isn't that amazing that even back then, you see this pattern, I want you guys to notice this, all through the Old Testament. So often, Joshua did this, um, Ezra did this, in the days of Hezekiah they did this, there's so many spots they did this, Moses did this, where they literally just read the Bible to everyone. They read the word of God, that's it. They got up and it took them days upon days, but they would just sit there and they would read it. And there would be massive revival in Israel every single time they would do that. And unfortunately, that's where, uh, for, for most of my life, the weakness and the lukewarm has set in, in in the body of Christ because there has been a famine of the word of God being taught to the people. Even just reading it, you can, you can radically change someone's life if you just read it. You don't even have to understand it. And praise God, it, it is not your responsibility to understand it. It's the Holy Spirit that will let you understand it. It's not a logical exercise. This is a spiritual one. So don't lean on logic, right? So many people want to say, I can't look at it. I can't read it. It's overwhelming. There's so many pages. What do I do? Just read it. Just read it and do it consistently and do it every day and it will start to come together in your mind. So he read it. Moses read it in the audience of the people. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant. It's amazing. He did this all the way back in Sinai, which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. See, the words had to be ratified by blood. So in verse 21, Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. See, this has been the problem for the Jewish people since 70 AD. When their temple was destroyed, they have no way to shed blood. So in their mind, if they don't believe in Jesus, there's been no remission of sin since 70 AD in their mind. Think about that. For the better part of 1950 years, they think that sin has not been ratified if, they, if you don't believe in Jesus. And so it's only by blood. So in their mind, they have a major, major problem, which is why now that they're a nation again, 75 years later, they are trying so desperately to build that next temple they want it. They think they need it. Okay, so when you look at the blood here, some things in the law were also purged with water, just as a note. That's why in verse 22 it says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. Almost all. Some were purged with water, so most of them with blood. But the word blood occurs 447 times in 375 verses in the King James. And... That's a lot. The Lord has a lot to say about just the word blood. Now, that's not any variant of that in terms of uh, bleeding or bled or bloody. I didn't look those up, but the word just blood. So our king shed his blood completely for you. And what I want us all to remember is that when he returns the second time to the earth, it's not his blood that is at issue any longer but the blood of his enemies. Remember, we saw this in Revelation 19, verse 13. And, when, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So remember, at the end of the tribulation, when the armies of the earth are surrounding Jerusalem, Jesus and all of us with him are on our white horses in Revelation 19. He opens that interdimensional veil. We come down with him. He vanquishes his enemies from Zechariah 4, and 14, by his word and his word alone, he then, the blood comes up to the horse's bridle, that'd be about four to four and a half feet high, goes on that valley that stretches from Mount Megiddo all the way down to Jerusalem. Then Isaiah 63 kicks in, where he goes to the remnant of Israel, his vesture is dipped in blood, and they, and that whole discourse between the Israelites and Jesus is in Isaiah 63. And then after that, he starts to set up the kingdom. He brings them back to Jerusalem. 
His throne is waiting for him. There's a 75-day interval from Daniel chapter 12 that the sheep and goat judgment happens from Matthew 25. You'll get your assignment. We all will will be praising him. There's the marriage supper of the lamb, not the marriage. The marriage is in heaven. Remember, we looked at that. Marriage supper, the feast is on the earth. And so there's, it's not his blood anymore. It's not his blood. It's the blood of his enemies. Verse 23 here. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. What you should notice here, and this should make you kind of really stop and think, it's not just humanity that needed redemption by the blood of Jesus. Now think about that. That is a, a staggering thought. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified. See, the heavenly things needed purification as well because the true tabernacle is in heaven. And so why would that be necessary? Well, we, after we finished Revelation, we studied this in depth in Let There Be War. But remember, Satan was the anointed cherub that covered God's throne from Ezekiel 28. Lucifer, Lucifer is the son of the morning from Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Okay, so Lucifer is the son of the morning. Well, who is the bright and morning star? That's Jesus from Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. See, Jesus is the bright and morning star. Lucifer is the son of the morning. Lucifer is a son of God, and he was the angel closest to Jesus before his rebellion. He anointed God's throne, and you see this in Ezekiel 28. We're going to look at this in a second, but Satan's rebellion in heaven caused the heavens to also need purification. In Colossians 1.20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things on, in earth or things in heaven, both places were reconciled by him and by his blood. In Job 15, 15, behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. See, they needed cleansing. In Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14 Genesis 1-2, Isaiah 45-18, Jeremiah 4, they all, when you put all of those together, they chronicle the rebellion of the fallen angels led by Lucifer. And so let's look at Ezekiel 28 specifically real quick. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, take up... Now, which I want you to notice, if you read all of Ezekiel 28... Before this, the Lord has a declaration against the prince of Tyre. Then he, and it's the earthly king that's ruling over Tyre at that time. Then he shifts gears to a declaration, a prophetic word against the king of Tyre. So in verse 12 here, Son of man, take up a limitation upon the king of Tyre and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Okay, there's no way the king of Tyre sealed up the sum of wisdom and beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. He definitely was not there. But we know one that was from Genesis, right? There were, there were three people in the garden, Adam, Eve, and Lucifer. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. See, Satan, before he fell, was clothed in light by every precious stone. The, topaz, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Remember, Satan is a created being. And he likely, from that verse 13, he likely led, led worship in heaven because of his pipes and tabrets. Those are instruments Okay, they, he was leading worship and anointing God's throne. He was 
above God's throne, clothed in light, sitting there as close as you could get to Jesus. Think about that. And he led worship. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Okay, so there's your key, one of your keys. This is a cherub he's talking to. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. See, there's no way this was the, the earthly king of Tyre. In verse 15, thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created until, that's the key word there, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thy heart, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness, and I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. And all they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee, that thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be anymore. That's the, the so Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 both chronicle the fall of Satan and, ha, and his position beforehand as anointing God's throne, covered in light, leading worship in heaven. So can you imagine the disappointment and the heartache of the one closest to the Lord being the one that led the rebellion. Just, we don't think about that often, but think about how devastating that must have been to the Lord, that the very cherub, the strongest of all the angels that he created for his glory, that was anointed above his throne, was the one that decided to try to take it. And that is a, a betrayal that I think none of us in this room can even fathom or ever understand. And so what I want to encourage you with with that is that if you've ever felt that same betrayal of someone close to you, God knows how to take care of that. And so go to him. He's, there's nothing that you will go through that he's not been through, nothing. But from all that warfare and sin, the heavens themselves had to be purified. So that's why Jesus took that blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled it there. So in verse 24, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. In other words, he doesn't have to keep going in once a year like the high priest. He is the ultimate high priest. He went in once and he'll never have to do it again. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So the last verse there in verse 26, the first world since the foundation of the world it's the Greek word cosmos. It literally means the universe, not just the earth. So it's before the foundation of creation itself. So before Genesis 1.1. The second world is aeon, or eon is where we get our English word eon. It means age, thus once in the end of the age, but now once in the end of the age he hath appeared. And it, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And that closes chapter 9. So the Holy Spirit's anticipate, you will, you will recognize this as you continue to study God's word. The Holy Spirit has anticipated every false doctrine that's ever been taught on planet earth, which is why in verse 27, 
the Lord says, it's appointed unto men once to die. That's to refute reincarnation, just as one example. But it's also this whole chapter, it's to also refute the fact that you have to have a sacrament and continue to crucify Jesus over and over and take his blood over and over. You don't have to do that. It's once and for all. So there are two people in the Bible that never died. Remember Enoch and Elijah? There's also those who died twice. Lazarus, Jairus' daughter. The city of Nain in Luke 7, there was a widow whose son was dead and then lived again. Jonah, you know, we often think of Jonah as being swallowed by this well, but Jonah died because that's why Jesus uses him as the example in the New Testament that just as Jonah was in the belly of the well three days, the Son of Man must be in the belly of the earth three days. Jesus didn't go into the earth alive and hang out and, and barbecue fish like we see in Pinocchio, but he died and he took his blood to heaven, purified the heavens and the mercy seat and the Holy of Holies once and for all, he went down into the lowest parts of hell called Tartarus. It's only used once in the entire New Testament. And he looked at, at all those fallen angels that bought into Satan's scheme. He looked at them and said, I won. I was victorious. He didn't go down to preach salvation. He went down to declare victory. That's what that word means in the Greek. He declared a victory because it all started in the heavens. They they led the ultimate inside rebellion against God, and he won all of it for us on our behalf. So Christ was once offered to bear, let's, we're going to cover this verse one more time at the end, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. See, you and I have a responsibility to be watching for the return of Jesus, for that. We're with him for that. So it's going to be very obvious when that's going to happen. <laughs> you will be in heaven. It will be no shadow of a doubt. We're not going to sit around going, man, is it about time? Lord, are we, where, are we going to get out of here soon? What is happening? There's going to be a battleground set. You're going to get your white horse. We're going to sit on it. We are going to be cheering the loudest battle cry you will ever hear on the earth when those dimensions split open. I bet you could hear it from the edge of the universe when that happens. It's going to be that loud. This is not going to be just a, a sonic boom at an air show like I used to go to as a kid down in Altus. This is going to be ripping the space-time continuum in half, and they're going to hear it to the edge of the universe, and those angels are going to know exactly, that's right, uncurling those dimensions. It's going to be incredible. So we've got to, so what are we to watch for then? If it's not for that, what are we watching for? We're watching for the rapture. That's what we're watching for. So 2 Timothy 4.8, there's a crown laid up for those that are watching. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. So if you are loving the appearing of Jesus to take you home. If you're tired of the earth being your home and you are homesick, there is a crown laid up for you for that. So praise God, keep watching. And you've got to walk. In the garden they were to watch. Remember, not the garden of Eden, the garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, 38, then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. So here you have these guys that walked with Jesus for three and a half years, or, or however long it was, three to, three to three and a half years. And it's all come to the end, and they have one night to watch, and they couldn't do it. They were so tired from the walk, they couldn't stay awake. In verse 40, skipping down two verses there, and he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? So watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So being watchful, the disciples after all of their walk could not stay to watch the Lord. They were weary. They were weary. 
and they needed to lean on his supernatural provision for their walk to be alert, knowing, and to be watchful of when it was all going to culminate. So being watchful, the signs of Jesus' return are everywhere. Now you've got to rightly divide some of these passages. Matthew 24, Jesus says, watch therefore. Matthew 25, he says, watch therefore. Well, one is to Israel in the tribulation. One is to us at a different time. Mark 13, take ye heed, watch and pray. Luke 21, 36, watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. You know, a lot of people who criticize the rapture of the church want to say, well, you guys are just a bunch of escape artists. You just don't want to be here. Well, okay, I'll agree with that. I, I have no problem with that. But Jesus promised us that in Luke 21, 36, to escape all these things. See, and then in, in Revelation 3, he promises to protect you from the very time of trouble, not preserve you through it, protect you from the time. That means you're somewhere without time. That means you're in heaven because heaven has no time. It's eternal forever. So be watchful. And I'll, we'll just close with this verse. The signs of Jesus' return are everywhere. Mark 13, verse 37. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Jesus is pleading with you to watch. Now, how can you watch and be watchful? What does that, what does that look like? Well, if you're not in the word of God, you're not building your faith and you will not recognize and look at everything that's going on in the world through a biblical prophetic lens. And so you've got to be in the word of God. You have to, it's the only way to build your faith and to be watchful. Because if you're in the word of God, then you realize, wow, the entire earth is setting up a system that is going to be used for a one world currency that will track every transaction, whether you buy, sell, or trade, it's there now. Uh, every piece of technology that Jesus said, if those days were not short and no flesh would be saved, that could not have happened in the 1800s, in the 1700s. It could only happen now because we have the weapons and the technology to wipe out everyone on earth. So if you're not in the word of God, you won't recognize what's going on with the red heifer, with Israel trying to rebuild the temple, the fact that they're in the land, they're looking to make a covenant with the Antichrist to rebuild the temple perhaps and to start those sacrifices again. So remember, what is faith? Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's important because without faith, it's impossible to please God from Hebrews 11.6. Now, how do you get it? Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and you've got to do it daily. And when you're starting to do that, you will not be negligent from 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25, run that you may obtain. And that will allow you to then watch, to watch. So if you're not here, if you're, if you're watching this online, if you find this video later, and we're all gone, you need Jesus. And there's only one way, and it's through, through Jesus and by his blood that you can be saved now. And that's the only way you get saved after the church closes, it's the same. And it's Romans 10, nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It is that simple and he will take everything because your sin is like crimson, like blood, and thus it needed blood to purge it and to turn all of it to white as wool from Isaiah 1.18. So let us reason together, says the Lord. And you can't reason with Jesus unless you're walking with him from Amos 3. How can two reason together unless they walk in agreement? So that's what you have to do. And get in. The only place to get in agreement with the Lord is by his blood and his blood alone. So with that, we'll close out in prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much for this day, God, with all of the prophetic signs on the horizon, Lord, let us, we pray that we would be watchful, that we would be diligent students of your word, 
and that God, we would watch everything that is being set up right now and what's coming upon the earth. Lord, we thank you for your continued promise in Titus of the rapture of the church as our blessed hope. From 1 Thessalonians 4 and Titus, we are looking for you to save us from the very time of trouble that will come upon not just Israel, but the face of the earth to prepare the way for the king. That's what it's all about, Lord, is to prepare the way for you to return and to set up a righteous ruling throne from Jerusalem. We thank you that we get to be a co-heir with you in that by and only through the blood of Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray, we pray, Lord, that as, as this word goes out, that if there is anyone watching that does not know you, we are praying for them and their salvation. We pray, Lord, from 2 Peter 3, your will is that none should perish. And from 1 John 5, you say that anything we pray according to your will, you will hear us from heaven and we have the confidence to act and the confidence to know that you will act on our behalf. And so Lord, it is your will that everyone is saved and we are praying that your will be done. That if there is anyone watching this that needs to know you, let them come to know you in a bold and mighty way, move in their lives in a supernatural way by your Holy Spirit and save them from the uttermost. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time together for we know our time is short and we are to be watchful. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear exactly what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, be with us in the week ahead. Amen.